Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Matt. And welcome to Going Pear-Shaped on AudioEntropy.com, a podcast where we talk about eh, just kind of whatever we feel like. Hey, Matt. Yo. So you had something on your mind. Yeah, so recently uh, the downloadable content for Tabletop Simulator for the board game Scythe went on sale, and it got me to thinking about how much I liked Scythe. We're not going to be talking about Scythe in detail here, but Scythe is an excellent board game made in kind of like, it's kind of like a 4X strategy game. Um, so you have a really good mix of, like, base building and expansion and combat, player diplomacy and everything. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. Probably on Tabletop Simulator, because retail copies of that game are, like, a hundred bucks. Which, if you're deep into board games and have people to play with regularly, could actually be a worthwhile investment, because it really is an excellent and highly replayable game. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to talk about good board games. We're here to talk about bad board games. We're here to talk about the reason that my childhood self thought he hated board games, and then didn't actually hate board games. So, Mike, what's your background with board games? Um, well, I, I've, I, hmm, I actually kind of wasn't ready for that question. Uh, I, I mean, I played a lot of stuff as a kid that was basically like the, 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 the big hits, Monopoly, Sorry, um, <laughs> pretty pretty princess because I had a lot of sisters. I've okay, um, you're gonna have yes, to explain that yes, one. And uh, yes, uh, young me was wearing like the the plastic earrings and the necklace and all that because it's in the rules. You gotta wear them. <laughs> that's, that's how you win. Um, oh, dude, I was I was fucking good at that game. Fucking MLG Pro, pretty pretty princess. Don't even fucking step. Oh, fucking um, no, no. You have to you have to explain what. How the hell did you play that game? Um, I don't actually remember what the rules of that game are. I just remember that the way that game works is you play a board game and gradually put on pieces of fake jewelry <laughs> and then the winner is the one who's who finishes dressing like a princess by the end i guess the, the winner is literally the prettiest princess at the end of the game yeah okay. i mean it's it's in the it's in the name i mean oh. it, it does exactly what it says in the box oh my god um, okay. let's see uh although the biggest hit in my family because i come from a long line of total nerds has always been trivial pursuit trivial pursuit's actually an okay board game though is is the problem here? So I don't feel I don't feel like we should actually. What are your thoughts on Trivial Pursuit? I think it's okay. Personally. I fucking love Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I, I don't, mean, I I've always had a soft spot for trivia games in general. Like some of my favorite favorite uh video game series of all time has been You Don't Know Jack. Like I'm I'm super into trivia games. Yeah, I feel like Trivial Pursuit, while not really my favorite game, doesn't feel like it belongs in discussion of bad board games. I guess the biggest no. knock against per- Trivial Pursuit is kind of once you've played any version of Trivial Pursuit, you've essentially played them all, but by nature, trivia games are designed to be updated and changed around with additions and expansions and whatever the hell else you want to call them. So I don't feel it's really fair to knock Trivial Pursuit for that. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably if there is any sort of criticism against Trivial Pursuit, it and it, this depends on what version you're playing, because there are so many different versions with varying rule sets uh, and various ways that they work. But depending on what version you're playing, uh, some of them can... Re- like, if you're playing, like, the traditional, like, classic version, that shit relies very heavily on having to land on certain spaces by exact count, and that can make a game run way longer than it needs to. But <laughs> other than that, like, I, I really like Trivial Pursuit. So speaking of rolling dice and having to land on exact spaces, you want to rip on Monopoly? Uh, I, I do want to finish the, the, the thing you asked me, though. Oh, right, um, shit, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Since then, so I had, I've had some friends who introduced me into sort of uh, more elaborate board games. Not super elaborate, like, I never I never really had the, the time uh, or the right group of people to get into, like, the really, really good stuff. But I I w- I, no, 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 I, would, I wouldn't say that, because ticket. I know what you're about to mention. You're about to say Ticket to Ride, and Ticket to Ride is a great game. 
Actually, that I was about to say sad. Betrayal at House on the Hill. Oh, really? Shit. God damn it. I'm like 0 for 2 now. I thought you, yeah. sure you were going to play Ticket to Ride, because Ticket I mean, to Ride I, is bad. No, I love playing Ticket to Ride. We've, we played the digital version a lot uh, on the Audio Entropy stream. That's fun. But yeah. as far as, like, like sort of big boy, like I put on my adult pants games, like, Betrayal's probably my favorite. I don't even, feel... even though, like, it's... Even though it's very much, like, it's very much an Ameritrash game. Like, it is very much, this is style over substance. It is... And, it? and depending on how things go and what haunt you get, it can be horribly imbalanced. But, I mean, whatever, it's fun. You're in a but, haunted house, fuck it. But uh, I feel there are a couple points in trivia. We've, we've already fucked up this episode because now we're just talking about, like, decent to good board games. But I feel like Betrayal, it is... Some people will say Betrayal's unbalanced Ameritrash. And that's kind of a true criticism. However, a couple of things well, I mean, about it's betrayal. 100% accurate. Like it's yeah. the, only, the only question is whether or not that's actually a deal breaker for but you. Like, but like the thing about it is people will have similar complaints about Monopoly, but I posit that Betrayal is an okay game. It's not my favorite, but it, I, I can play it and I don't want to just bash my head into the desk until I go unconscious when I play Betrayal, unlike Monopoly. But I feel like the thing about Betrayal is A, it's, it's supposed to be imbalanced. The game is liter. It's it's an impo- a. It's impossible to balance because of how progression works in that game with the randomly found items and depending on what random items you find prior to a haunt and how quickly the haunt starts, you can either have a bunch of really well equipped survivors who can deal with whatever the fuck they need to deal with, like the horde of vampire bats, as one I remember being a haunt in that game, or you can have a really bunch of poorly equipped survivals survivors who have to deal with a bunch of werewolves pro tip by the way if you get that werewolf challenge and you're not like immediately in the forge room with a gun you're probably fucked because oh my god that haunt is ridiculous but the thing about that is that creates memorable play experiences because the arc of that game is so wildly variable every single time that everybody always comes away with cool stories about like the cool story of the time one person was left alive to barely slay the dragon, but they didn't have the weapon they needed, so they basically had to cudgel the thing with a chair until it died. Or, like, the time we got completely overwhelmed and just mod-squatted by werewolves and stuff. I can remember almost every single game of Betrayal I played, just because the game is so good at cre- uh, creating unique play experiences. So, with, uh, I remember with my family, uh, it almost became kind of a running joke that Whenever I played the priest, I was automatically the traitor, and there was it, it was weird because it kept fucking happening, and it and it kind of tied into the fact that like that was my favorite character to play, yeah. Because like I feel like having a high sanity in that stat, like like that stat is the get out of jail free card stat essentially. Like it's it's your power to blink and make the bad thing go away, which considering the way that game works is pretty strong. It's pretty good, yeah. Yeah, it's just that my character's made a paper, so if I'm actually physically attacked by something, then I'm, I'm fucked, yeah, but I get, like that character. Yeah, if you get punched by the werewolf, you're fucking exploding and dying in one, basically. Yeah, but they're, they're, but it seemed like almost any time I actually played that character, which was most of the time, I, I would end up being the traitor, <laughs> and my, my family started to get to where they fucking hated that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but so you you started by saying that you got to this uh, topic of wanting to s- discuss bad board games because of the way the games that you played as a kid made you think you hated board games. So why don't, why don't you talk about that? Talk about your history with this shit. So my history with board games is a lot like yours, playing all the quote-unquote classics. Um, just as an FYI, I think most of the actual classics are fucking shit. 
There are, are there are a couple of exceptions. I think Scrabble is an okay game, but most of the yeah, I mean Scrabble. Scrabble's just a, a word building game. It's kind of hard to yeah. It's it's one of those things. It's a lot like Trivial Pursuit. It's kind of hard. You can say well, it's kind of hard to fuck it up, and that's true. But they didn't fuck it up, so points for not fucking up the thing. It's easy to not fuck up. It's better than Monopoly. We're gonna bash on Monopoly a lot this episode. Just. As a heads, FYI. So I played most of the quote-unquote mainstays like you. I played Monopoly, I played Candyland, although Candyland was a game that rarely ever gets played outside of, like, actual children, so I feel it's Now, here, here's the thing. I'm going to do a quick little aside here. Um, so we, we talked to people about, like, hey, you know, we're going to play some bad board games, and Candyland came up. And here's the thing about Candyland is, yes, it is a game that plays itself. There are no real decisions to make. But also, that is a game designed for kids who are, like, three. Yeah, if you actually look on the box, it is explicitly states, like, designed for children seven or younger or something like that. It is designed yeah. for actual toddlers. It is not a game designed to be competed in. It is a game where the kids play together, and they learn colors, and they learn following instructions, and they learn how to take turns, and any one of them could win. Because when you're dealing with very, very small children... It's a good thing that anyone can win. Like every kid should win sometimes. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here bashing on Candyland because it's a game for literal babies. I mean, like, for, <laughs> I I can sit here and I can bash on it if you want me to, but like, no, no. But I mean, I mean, target audience is a thing to consider, and that's something we will also get into. Yes, when we when we get it full on into bashing Monopoly, because that game is also ostensibly, at least according to the Milton Bradley marketing, also for children. Yeah, but and, boy but, howdy. But like thematic, which thematically makes absolutely no sense given how it's literally named. Whatever, we'll get into it. But yeah, I played most of the classics, um, and I hated most of them. And at the time, I thought my childhood self thought that meant again that I hated board games. And then I played Apples to Apples, and I fucking loved Apples to Apples. So then it shifted from I. But I, that really was, like, the revelatory game for myself, because before then, I could not sit down and play a board game, and I got the reputation as being the person who didn't like board games, which I also thought was true. But I uh, it's, loved it's Apples to it's, Yeah, it's kind of weird for Apples to Apples to be that revelation game, because, like, people tend to think of good board games versus bad board games as being a matter of sort of the mindlessly designed sort of, like, I guess, you know, the fucking mainstream man. The, fucking, the rolling uh, go style games, games versus, yeah. like, the games with lots of meaningful decision-making and interactivity, like something like Scythe. Scythe is a... Yeah. I feel like... You, you, tend, to, the, you tend to think of, like, when people say, like, oh, yeah, I'm super into board games, you know, you'll they'll talk about, like, the really complicated, rules-heavy, cerebral stuff, but, like, Apples to Apples is a very good board game, and it is not that at all. It's, it's a party game. It's, yeah. Apples to Apples is a game, and I think one of the strengths of that game is you can explain Apples to Apples rules in 60 seconds. And the Apples to Apples rules, by the way, somebody plays a green card, a green card will have a prompt or a quote on it that says something like exciting. You will play a red card that has a typically a noun or an action or a thing on it that tries to match exciting. The, a judge will judge said uh, red cards placed down. The person who wins picks up their red card and gets to keep it off the side as like a score. After you accumulate a certain amount of red cards, you win. Judge cycles through in a clockwise or counterclockwise fashion. First judge determined at random. Done. That's that's the rules of apples to apples. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's it's about it's about matching matching adjectives to nouns and hopefully trying to be funny about it along the way. Yeah, so. funny about it, or at least knowing the judge well enough 
to kind of yeah, get that's them true. Some, sometimes you'll get like the one person at the table table who actually like will reward you for being very literal uh, with with your answer. Which a lot of people like hate those kind of stick in the mud judges. I actually find that if you have one person like that, it makes the game a lot more interesting because it forces you to actually like academically think occasionally. Highly subjective, doesn't matter. Apples to Apples is a very well designed game, and it's fun. And that's why I like that game so much, and I liked it so much, and I played it so often at, like, our church meets that my parents got me the cop, got me a copy of that game, and they got me, like, the expansion packs. And that is the game we basically played at board game night for years straight, because it was the one game I would play, and it was also the one game that everybody else would also play, because they, they liked board games, and I liked apples to apples. So, fast forward several years, and Tabletop Simulator comes out. And all of a sudden, my world is kind of, the world is sort of my oyster when it comes to board games, and I can now try all of these board games that all, like, the hardcore board game people love. And I liked almost all the ones I played. I loved Scythe, I loved Catan, I loved weirder shit, like Xenoclash. I haven't tried, like, Cry Havoc. Um, and it occurred to me that I hadn't hated board games. I'd hated bad board games, because again... I think most classic board games are kind of shit. And I feel if you're going to have a discussion on shitty classic board games, Mike, what do, which one do you think is like the ultimate shitty classic board game? Is it Monopoly? I feel like it's probably I, I Monopoly. I feel like it has to be Monopoly because here's the thing. I don't think Monopoly is actually the worst game. I don't. But it has become, and, and this is with good reason. When I say this, it sounds like I'm dismissing it, but it's with good reason. It's kind of become the ur example and sort of the punching bag of sort of people hardcore into tabletop gaming of the, the, this is the big example of a mainstream game that sucks. And like people constantly tell jokes about how they hate Monopoly and yet they'll play it anyway. And, you know, like, and, and it's frustrating. You'll get that, that response of like, Oh, Hey, I'm into board games. And someone who's not super into, you know, into board games will say, Oh, like Monopoly. And that's like the worst, it's the worst answer. Like, because Monopoly seems to do a fantastic job of convincing people that board games are not fun. Yeah, and and that's the crazy thing about Monopoly, is Monopoly is one of those board games where I can't tell you anybody who actually fucking likes that game. I mean, now, like, I can, I can. Really? I Shit. don't know them personally. Uh, I've mentioned them before on this podcast. There's a podcast, uh, podcast I love, it's my personal favorite podcast, and... It is sadly ending soon. It's called Flip the Table, um, and it's a game where they play bad board games and things like that. And the sort of host of that podcast is a self-professed Monopoly apologist. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Also, yeah, that podcast is super good. Listen to that podcast. God, you want to talk about yeah. bad board games? That that right there. I think we're mostly sick of the classics, but yeah, Flip the Table is an excellent podcast. Anyway, continue. Um, well, I mean, that's all I had. So oh, okay. you, you were actually in the middle of saying is, that is that the same anybody. one? Is that the same one who's also a clown? Uh, no, that is a different panelist on that show. Okay, I was about to say, and that's not an insult, by the way. I mean, a literal clown. Yeah, like, like it, <laughs> that's one of those things because it's a comedy podcast, and like when one of the guys like introduces himself as like being a party clown, at first you think that's a joke, but no, like that's he he's a clown for a living. It's that his is, nine to five. It, it's not yeah. an insult. It's like saying he is a baker or like a blacksmith. No, he is a clown. That is his job. Yeah. Always makes discussing that podcast super weird. Anyway, Monopoly is terrible. Do we want to talk about the history of Monopoly or do you think we should just get into the mechanical nitty gritty of why Monopoly is bad? 
I feel I it's I think it's at least worth bringing up the history of Monopoly because it feeds into why it's kind of so fucked. Okay, so very quick recap of Monopoly. Monopoly is based off of an early 1900s board game uh, designed by Elizabeth J. Maggie Phillips uh, called The Landlord's Game. The Landlord's Game is. I guess you'd call it, like, literally socialist propaganda. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it is a game designed to make a political statement. It yeah. Is, it is designed to let you play out uh, essentially what capitalism does, which is destroy everything <laughs> and just suck the life out of everyone around you, including other capitalists. And it's, and it's, it's designed to be an, uh, an unpleasant, brutal experience. <laughs> Then Charles Darrow came up with a modified version of that game called Monopoly. Sold that and by, game. And by came up with, he mean we mean fucking stole. Fucking or stole. Design. Yeah, like let's let's not mince words. That like the dude who sold that game, who sold the design for Monopoly to ah uh, shit. What is it like Parker Brothers? Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers. Yeah, he just fucking stole that from this lady, and then be, and then made millions from it, and perfectly demonstrated. Like the the ladies who created it, like perfectly demonstrated the original I, point she was making. I yeah, I feel like there's a life. I feel like there's a lesson to be learned there, but I'll be fucked if I know what it is. Well, I mean, it's the capitalism is bad. Yeah. Okay. There's there's the lesson. Fucking. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but I feel like there's another lesson to be learned there. Whatever. Anyway, Monopoly, true to its thematic roots, is fucking shit. The problem is all modern incarnations of a Monopoly have lost. Essentially, all theme. I mean, it's still there under the surface, but it's it's presented as something you do for fun. It's presented as a good time. Like there's there's Uncle Pennybags. He's the the happy bouncy cartoon like fucking robber baron, and it's <laughs> he will sell your family into slavery if he thinks he'll make him a mint. Like, yeah, basically. Yeah, it's. So- He's, he's he's Uncle Scrooge without the fucking like endearing origin story, basically. So the way so the deal Mono- the reason Monopoly sucks is the actual play arc for Monopoly when you're playing it with people who actually know what they're doing. Um, the way Monopoly's official rules state is there's a limited number of houses in Monopoly. So the way God, do we need to explain the rules for Monopoly? I feel like we have I mean, to. But well, here's. Here's the thing with Monopoly. Let's at least touch on this part because I feel like okay. everyone understands the basic rule set. The problem is there's misconceptions about some of the more nitty gritty. So it is Monopoly is a game that nearly every person who plays it learned from having someone else explain it to them rather than reading the rules. And when that happens, there are a lot of like sort of house rules in the game that that make try and make the game not fucking terrible. Yeah, or well, less th- fucking terrible. Well, here's the thing: is they actually make things worse because it prolongs. Uh, like, here's the thing: that even even when you play by the official rules, there's some people who say, "Well, it's not as bad if you play by the official rules," and that's true. It's not as bad. It's still bad, but the house rules elongate a game, elongate the game that's supposed to be actually pretty brutal and quick. Um, and it's their rules designed to sort of because this is a game about like fucking brutal like real estate mogul moguls. Moguls, m- moguls, mog- mog- moguls, <laughs> fucking Muggles, Harry yeah, Potter shit. Sure, yeah. why not? But yeah, it's it's a game about playing as uh, like eight different Donald Trumps. Um, basically, it's it's supposed to be brutal and fast, and you're supposed to be eliminated, and you're supposed to run out of money in like on the at the drop of a hat, basically. But because people have kids play it, they added these house rules to try and 
soften the blow so kids don't get eliminated immediately and don't spend too much time not having any money. So they do shit like, well, if you can't afford it, like... like when a player lands on a property and they don't buy it, whether they can afford it or not, if they, you know, because if they just don't opt to to buy it, it's supposed to immediately go to auction. Like there's supposed to be auctions in that game on every time a property isn't bought outright, and a lot of people don't do that. Or more famously, they'll do the shit where like they'll put money under free parking instead of going to the bank, so the money isn't like isn't leaving the economy. So like you get this, it's fucking inflation in this stupid fucking board game and nobody's running out of money so the game doesn't end and just horseshit like that house rules monopoly really is a board game design house rules monopoly might just be like the least fun board game i've ever played ever because it doesn't end i mean i know that you literally just said it doesn't end but just why did people play that it doesn't end. like you get to that point where like in real ass monopoly, you can wear your opponents down. I mean, there's still there's still very little actual strategy to it because it's a fucking roll and move game. Yeah. But like that's something you can do. Whereas in house rules monopoly, the only way to get the game to end is someone has to fucking hit the nuclear bomb like landing. Like so- someone has to land on fucking boardwalk with a hotel on it. Yeah. And like lose all their shit at once. Like that's the only. It's it's like if you're playing a board game where all of the enemies like constantly regenerate tons of health nonstop, and like you you have to get the instant kill to finish off anybody except they're your friends and you're all eight years old <laughs> and you've been doing that shit for two hours for two fucking hours uh, that's like i know i keep repeating it like i'm like i'm a fucking broken re- record but honestly i'm just trying to reconcile my past and figure out why the fuck anyone plays that game well it, it ties back into the fact that it is a game people learn by having it explained to them, is it's a game we keep telling... It's a game people keep giving to their kids. It's a, but, it's a self-perpetuating thing. But, but like, a, why? Because I'm not giving my kids that game because it sucks. And I, I never knew anybody who actually enjoyed playing that game. That was the game you played because you didn't I mean, have other board games. Pe- the, pe- the people are out there. Like, there are, there are Monopoly enthusiasts. I, I never I'll never understand them. these people, but they're out there. But like the over but like every and time like, I brought y- up y- here's the thing, I'm into some real nerdy shit, so I'm not I'm not going to throw stones. You know, like like you if you're super into monopoly, more power to you. And like you've probably already turned this podcast off cuz you're sick of people shitting on this thing. You like, I get it. Believe me. But like that I will never understand that world. Yeah, I, but but like the thing is, I'm not talking about like hardcore board game aficionados. I'm talking like super casual people hated playing Monopoly, but played it anyway. And I just, I I never understood that. Like, the fucking, whenever Monopoly came out, it was like I was about to enter the fucking nightmare dimension for the next two hours, where nothing fucking happened, but I still couldn't leave the table to just go watch cartoons or whatever the fuck. It was the bane of my fucking childhood. God, I fucking hate this game. And even I, when I you're playing, and even when you're playing Monopoly properly, so the way you play Monopoly properly, because the funny thing about Monopoly, Monopoly is a staggeringly easy game to quote unquote solve. The way you beat Monopoly is you get a Monopoly as soon as humanly possible. I'm trying to remember the default number of houses. I think it's thirty. So you try and get two Monopolies as soon as humanly possible. You take whatever steps you need to do that. Then you buy houses on all of those properties, but you never upgrade to hotels. And what happens is in the default actual listed rules of Monopoly, 
there are a limited number of houses. So if you sit on a limited number of houses, you create an artificial housing shortage where you are, where you create an artificial housing shortage where you will passively generate more money than everybody else. You choke your opponents out via just pure attrition and you win the game almost 100% guaranteed barring absolutely abominably bad luck. That's Monopoly. Like, that is the game. That's how it's designed to be played. Create an artificial housing shortage, which is actually well, here's kind the thing. of... An- I don't think that's actually how it was meant to be played because I think you were meant to upgrade to hotels. Like, that's well, meant to be an incentive, but, like, the ideal way to play that game is you don't do that. You don't even engage with this whole entire mechanic. Yeah, well, you engage with that mechanic once you become fabulously wealthy and you can immediately buy houses instantaneously afterwards while your opponents are groveling in the mud, which... Okay, fair enough. And I guess if it wasn't designed like that, it's actually kind of secretly brilliant that it fell backwards into that because creating an artificial housing shortage is an incredibly, well, landlord thing to do. So, yeah. 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 Kind of works out anyway. Anyway, that's Monopoly. That's how you win Monopoly. I just explained how to win Monopoly. Everything else is in the hands of fate. Um, If you get bad rolls and you can't do it, tough shit. Life sucks. God. God, I hate Monopoly. <laughs> Let's move on to another shitty board game. Want to talk about another shitty board game? Sure. It's not as shitty, but it still sucks. Risk. So Risk, yeah. I feel but- Risk, I feel is another case of it was originally designed. I don't actually know the history of Risk. Do you? I I don't think Risk is one of those games that's designed to be to that was designed to make a point. I think someone legitimately just wanted to make like a a, a streamlined war game. Yeah, but the thing about Risk, and maybe they didn't intend to do it, but another thing about Risk is it just grinds to an attrition-based halt almost immediately. Which, if you're dealing with a war in a Napoleonic era, like, yeah, that largely makes sense. Because unless you have an overwhelmingly superior numbers advantage, which against another industrialized nation you would never be able to accomplish, you can't win, but it's also almost impossible to lose and it also grinds to an attrition-based halt. By the way, you'll find a very similar recurring element in both the in like bad classic board games. There are two things that kind of are recurring themes. One, they become games of attrition very, very quickly. And two, if they're not games of attrition, any victory condition is left almost entirely up to chance. Uh, Monopoly has both of these things, which is why it's the worst. Um, Risk actually isn't a super variance heavy game. I mean, you do roll dice for combat, but combat is largely determined, but you're fighting a number so large and you roll so many dice that variance kind of becomes a non-factor after a certain point. I mean, there are definitely those turns where, like, you'll have, like, seven armies and you go after a territory that has, like, one. Yeah, you'll have, like, two cannons and your two cannons will get bopped by one fucking dude and you'll be like, fucking seriously? Yeah, you'll just get bad roll after bad roll after bad roll after bad roll and you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, and that can happen, and that absolutely can happen, but the thing about that is if they were only had one dude there, by the time they reposition and start to retake ground and attack you, reverse funnel effect kicks in, and they can't really effectively take ground there without losing ground elsewhere. Hence, yeah, the game almost always degenerates into a complete standstill. Like, you'll have a lot of action early, and people in the early game will get knocked out, but generally speaking it becomes just a two-way or maybe three-way war fought between three, two or three sides, none of which can actually gain any appreciable or meaningful advantage on their opponents. Now, that to me, that's the most frustrating thing about Risk is 
no matter how many people you start with, it eventually gets down to the fucking just two people. Yeah, going the two at it for or like the another hour. The two or the three, and it just and by going at it, I mean we would literally just call games because no one it, at that point it's literally you're just rolling dice against people with defenders advantage every turn because the smart way to play that is just to put a shitload of troops on your border and just sit there until your opponent attacks into your border and loses because you have defender's advantage. So the way combat's handled in Risk, you dice off, defenders have advantage. I can't remember exactly how it works. It doesn't matter, but it's a non- The, the idea is that it's, it's, um, it's ties go to the defender is the thing. Yeah. So you dice off, ties go to the defender, which is a non- But, but the thing is, uh, the attacker has the potential to have more dice. So I, I think the defender's advantage is still... St- statistically i think defenders still statistically favored in that game still with how for the most part out. yeah it's just the idea is that assuming you're attacking with a large enough army odds are you're the attacker's gonna have three dice and the defender's gonna have one or two yeah so i cannot actually remember i'm sorry i should have actually looked up the rules for risk before bashing on it super hard but fuck wasting any more of my fucking life dealing with that game god damn it but yeah risk um, Risk is a game that's kind of notorious for degenerating into standstills. Uh, apparently there's a sort of, like, pseudo-modern update for Risk called Diplomacy. I have not played it. Um, I know a lot of people whose opinions I respect really like that game, and it actually... I, I, well, so- Diplomacy, Diplomacy is a completely different game, so so that's something I was I was wanting to hint at earlier, uh, with saying Risk was a, uh, a more streamlined sort of war game, is there are actually a lot of really good games like that. That, that simulate that genre of, like, we're opposing armies and we're going to go at each other and, you know, just see what happens. And there are going to be some random elements, but, you know, the, there's a lot of strategy to it. Yeah. Actually, thinking on Risk, it just occurred to me there was another game I liked as a kid. Not as much as Apples to Apples, but I didn't fucking hate playing it. Axis and Allies. Yeah, Axis- I was te- I was tempted to mention Axis and Allies, but I've never actually played that one myself. Axis and Allies is not a great game. It is, however, an adequately good game. Um, and I want to say Axis and Allies was actually like a very... How old is Axis and Allies? Because that game was actually probably... If it's as old as I think it probably is, it's probably a... When was it this thing developed? When did it come out? Oh, 1981. Huh. So that's more recent than I would have figured. But yeah, Axis and Allies is an okay board game. I despise basically every single Milton thing Milton Bradley publishes outside of a couple of games. This would definitely be one of the exceptions. Um, it's not particularly well balanced. It can still grind to a standstill, but there's enough genuinely interesting stuff in Axis and Allies with the asymmetry and like the tech tree. Although the tech tree can be fucking bullshit because if you get the right tech tree upgrades early, you are at a huge and decisive advantage, but chances of that happening are not great, so I don't know. Um, we'll move on from Axis and Allies because I don't feel it's that bad of a game and we're talking about bad games. So, Mike, do you have any, like, bad games from your childhood that you want to skewer? Or did we already cover Um, most of them? I mean, basically by covering Monopoly, we've already covered everything I hated as a kid. (laughs) Even younger you fucking despised capitalism in all of its forms. Yeah, I just, I just didn't have the, I, I didn't have the words to explain why just yet. Oh my god. I mean, here's the thing. My family, my family d- mostly played Uno, which is a really good game. Yeah, I was about to say that's period, not a bad. But we're also, not, we're not going to talk bad about that game. That yeah, game but okay. also, like, it's a really good game 
for playing in a large family because there are a ton of people of various age ranges and all that stuff. And, you know, it's it's just it's just a lot of fun. I mean, you do get into that situation where, like, if you're playing for any extended period of time, you have to play some musical chairs. Otherwise, they're, you're going to foster a lot of ill will between the people sitting directly next to each other. So you have you have to kind of you have to kind of like fucking musical chairs that shit every few rounds. Yeah. Although, honestly, I think that's actually kind of has some I, I think that actually kind of works, though, and creates interesting situations in its own right. So I never really had a problem with that. But yeah, um, Uno sending people to the chat. Did you ever send somebody to the Shadow Realm in Uno? Uh, effectively, yeah. Oh, you, you mean like skip them four turns in a row? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How much did they hate you after that? A lot. Yeah. Fucking. Man, Uno is awesome. Uno is really play, fucking good. Like, did you ever play any of the variations on Uno? Because I did not. I was. Uh, I, was I a haven't classic really, Uno. no. But. Oh, okay. I mean, that, and that's kind of. It, it's. This is going to sound like an insult, and it's not. Uno is kind of the next step up from Candyland in terms of a good game to teach a small child to play. Because, you know, there's there's counting, and there's colors, and there's taking turns, and all that shit. But it's, like, actually a game. Yeah. So, but the, the thing with Uno is it's still it's still fun, like, kind of no matter how old you get. Like, that is that is a game I played with my grandma, so... You know, like, whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. So I think when it comes to, like, bad... We're shifting away from good board games. We talked about good board games way too much on this podcast. So shifting back to, like, bad board games, I don't really have a whole lot else to talk about outside of, like, Battleship. I remember Battleship being a game I fucking hated as a kid as well. Um, Battleship... The thing about Battleship that makes it weird to bash on is it's such a non-factor as a fucking game, right? Because the deal with Battleship is... I mean, like, you guess until you find something. Yeah. Like, it, it like it's, it's literally, you it's just totally, guess. It's totally random. It's it's almost, like, it kind of almost falls into that Candyland category, where, like, there's it's kind of not really a game, but it makes a little kid feel good that they did a thing. What's, what's like, the, uh, what's the age demographic for Battleship? Am I bashing on a game for actual babies again? I don't think it skews quite that young, but like it's it's meant for pretty small children, I think. Yeah, but which I, is weird because it is a game about brutal like naval warfare. I was about warfare, to say which is a game is because it's about naval. Yeah, I like I don't now, know. Now I mean I think there actually is like there is an ideal uh, strategy to battleship, which you know by the time anyone figures that out, they're way too old to be playing fucking battleship. But the idea is to uh, basically do your searches in sort of a checkerboard pattern, like. Like, say, if, if you picture the... And, and I mean, I, I think this actually is the same number of squares as a chessboard. I could be wrong. But, like, if it was a chessboard like or a checkerboard, like, only guess on the black spaces or only guess on the red spaces. Yeah. Because, because like, because all of the ships are are lines, either horizontal or vertical. So, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you guess on two spaces that are next to each other, you've essentially wasted a guess. Yeah. And like, but outside of that, and then outside of don't put your ships on borders typically, because it reduces the amount of area that they can theoretically cover, and it reduces the amount of guesses your opponent theoretically has to use. I don't feel like there's any actual plan to playing. There, there's I mean, no there's actual. Also, there's plan. also a double bluff angle where like I'm going to do this thing that's deliberately stupid, so my opponent doesn't expect me to do it. I guess that's true, and I guess that is a redeeming quality to battleship is. 
Battleship at least plays relatively but like, quickly. Yeah, but also, and, like, it's it's still a guessing game, and the strategy basically begins and ends with where you put your ships. Yeah, although I I guess, and I can't believe I'm defending this game now, I guess there is something to be said for the fact that you can kind of get a read on a person and figure out what type of person they would be and where they would put their ships, at least in theory. But frankly, if that's the appeal of Battleship, just fucking play Yomi instead. <laughs> yeah. Really, just play Yomi instead. It actually applies to a shitload of games, even even relatively good ones. So I don't feel that's necessarily an entirely fair comparison. But yeah, outside of like Battleship, I mean, I can mention like roller roll and move games, like Sorry or I can't. Oh, so, so, dude, no, no, Sorry isn't a roll and move game. Sorry is a draw cards and move game. Oh, right, my bad. And, like, yeah, and all of that strategy comes down to which pawn do you want to move, and. Man, like, sorry is weird because it's got that fucking, uh, fucking MLG no scope, hit the dubstep and the bright green MS Paint text, uh, move where, like, if you draw the right card at the right time while a piece is still near the beginning, you can move backwards and go straight to the end. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that rule. Sorry is such dog shit. Fuck. I mean, also, it's literally Parcheesi. Yeah, it, it is. is literally parchy. Well, I don't recall there being a 360 no scope MLG. No, there's, there's no, no. That's that's basically Sorry's big innovation is the fucking 360 <laughs> no scope. Well, also the ability to like hit certain spaces and slide forward and knock your opponents off the board. Yeah, like it, it's 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 basically somebody took Parcheesi and kind of Mario partied it up a bit. Oh fuck! Yeah, like. Yeah, like, I just thought, and I'm like, well, what? I think that's all for, like, board games I hate. And then I'm like, wait, no, what about, I can't even remember, Yahtzee, that's it, Yahtzee. And it's just like, Yahtzee's another fucking roll dice. And I, I don't, I'm going to defend Yahtzee, because no, it's kind don't, of, don't, it's don't, kind you, of... Don't, you defend Yahtzee. It's po- kind of dice... T- no, dude, seriously, it's basically dice poker. Like, when but it comes right down to it. But there's like, no bluffing element. There's no, no, but there is, there is, like... There is the risk of like I'm gonna re-roll this dice. Like, it's 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 a more it's a more digestible version of poker for a younger audience. If there is a downside to Yahtzee, it's the fact that there's no real interaction with the other players. Like, it's you just kind of all playing solo games at the same time and seeing who does best. I'm making faces at you right now. I really am. A Yahtzee apologist, one of my best friends. I just. Dude, up here. No, I'm not saying it's a good game. I'm saying it is nowhere on the level of dire as fuck as something like some of the other stuff we've talked about. It is not Monopoly bad. It is not Risk bad. Okay. It's just throwing some dice and matching some numbers. It's nothing. It is. It is inoffensive. Okay. I and I, I'm not. Fair I, here's the thing. I, I would I, as an adult, I would never actually want to play Yahtzee. Okay. Okay. But like if a little kid, if I needed to play a game with a little kid, like say I was babysitting one of my nieces or nephews or something. And, like, you put the options before me, and one of them is fucking Monopoly, one is Risk, one is Sorry, and one is Yahtzee. I will take Yahtzee every single goddamn time, because it is, at the very least, inoffensive. You see, in that situation, I think I would play Sorry just for the possibility of the 360 no-scope auto win. But, yeah, fucking... Yeah. I, I can respect... I can, in all seriousness, I can respect that opinion, but that being said... I don't want to play Yahtzee ever again, and the next time I fucking see that game will be too soon. And I guess that's kind okay. of the thing about a lot of, like, the wee bad board games. Uh, what's another, like, Boggle? Wasn't Boggle, like, a roll-and-move uh, game? No, Boggle is, is it's, a, it's like a word search game. 
Oh, the really? dice have the letter. Yeah, the, the it's a bunch of dice with letters on it. And then you shake them up in this thing, and then you you put the thing down in it, and you get a fucking. Oh wait, no, ba- Boggle's a Boggle's a fun game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you get like a randomly generated uh, four by four word search, and you basically try to make the longest words you can. Yeah. Okay. No, Boggle is absolutely has no part in this conversation. Yeah, not an, th- not an amazing game. To see, you to, to see you bring that up. It's it's yeah, kind no, of the same not thing as Scrabble. Game, it's like it's but, yeah. word word building games are kind of I don't want to say they're easy to make good because like it's not easy to design a good game, but like it's 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 right up there with trivia games in terms of like this is this is a genre that you absolutely can fuck up, but it's kind of hard to. Yeah, it's idiot resistant, not idiot proof. But yeah, no, Boggle has no no place in this. Boggle is a fine game. I don't have any real strong opinions of Boggle one way or another, but I can, it, it passes the litmus test of I don't hate it. So Yeah. Now can I um can I double back to Monopoly for a moment? Yeah, sure. I'm always down to bash on Monopoly some more. Well well here's the thing. This isn't bashing. Here's the thing. So um the the guy from Flip the Table, uh uh moderator Chris, the Monopoly apologist, one of the things he brought up is that more modern versions of Monopoly come with something that kind of mitigates a lot of the criticisms with that game, and particularly the way it kind of drags on, and it's called the speed dice. And I forget exactly how it works, but the idea is, in addition to rolling the 2d6, you're rolling this additional die that, I I think it's like blank on five of the sides, but the sixth one has like the Monopoly guy, or maybe like two of them have the Monopoly guy, something like that. Um, And basically, if you get if the speed dice gives you the thing you want, you essentially have the option to um, I forget exactly what it is, but I think you just sort of shoot. It makes you do something more quickly. Like I think you just buy the next available uh, property, property or something like that. Yeah, something something like that. Uh, and and then like what it does changes once most of the property has been bought up. Again, I don't remember how it works because I don't really give a shit about Monopoly. But like there is, it adds some kind of additional mechanic that speeds up the game, and really just effectively just makes it faster. Now, I mean, counter-argument is if your big uh, improvement to a given game is to make it end more quickly, that says a lot about the game, but there there has been a push to sort of make Monopoly better with the argument that there is... Like, because, again, like we're, we're baffled by it, but a lot of people like Monopoly, so there's something there. There's something under the surface that appeals to people. God knows what. Maybe it's just the fact there. that they. Maybe it's just the fact that they love enjoying the suffering of their fellow man. That's true, and it would tie into the themes. Yeah, so. I was about to say, which is a very capitalist thing, as far as I'm aware of. God, <laughs> we're really coming out of yeah. the woodwork, swinging in this one, aren't we? I mean, are we coming out of the woodwork when it's our podcast? As uh, fair point, actually. Also, I think we've shat on capitalism before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's worth shitting on. Yeah, um, no, no, for sure. I, I think we can. Pro- I think that's we're done for like bashing on board games, though. I mostly just I mostly just chose this topic because I wanted to shit on Monopoly because it fucking ruined my childhood, along with all the other things that actually ruined my childhood. Now, should uh, you know? Hold on, we'll we'll kind of get into it in the questions. I think. Okay. Do we want to move on to questions, or do you have something else you want to add? Uh, let's go ahead and move on to questions. I think we can we can have an after questions bit. Ooh. Spicy. Okay. Actually, um, I do want to I do want to propose one question. Okay. A lot of these bad games we're talking about are theoretically designed for children, or at least marketed to children. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the good thing, games we've talked about are are more or less leaning toward adults. What is what is, what are some good games for like little kids? Like we're not going to be able to throw out Scythe 
or fucking Battlestar Galactica. No, or anything. Scythe like, isn't is, going to work. Battlestar yeah. Galactica isn't going to work. Borg, what, what is Borg. what is something like we'll we would play with little kids? I mean, we mentioned Uno. That's that's I, number one with a bullet for me. Um, I think Catan is if you're willing to be a little more patient. I think you can play Settlers of Catan with a kid. Um, do you think Ticket to Ride? I don't feel Ticket to Ride. I think Ticket to Ride. I mean, yeah, I think you can do Ticket. It's a little more dense, but not like as long as you're willing to spend a little more extra time. I don't feel like it would be a problem for a younger kid. Ticket to Ride definitely has the danger of getting into that Monopoly territory of like this is a very brutal game. Like you're going to make moves and knowingly or not that are going to fucking destroy someone else's strategy. Yeah, in an instant. But I feel that if you're playing with an actual little kid. Assuming the people you're playing with aren't fucking assholes, they'll probably ease up on the kid and not yeah. be a fucking dickhole. I, I will say that some of these rely on not being a fucking dickhole. Um, another game I initially thought would be okay and fall into the, well, as long as people are willing to explain it, the cooperative game Xenoshift. Then I remembered how fucking violent a lot of the card art in that game actually is, and I'm having second thoughts on that one. Now, is that, is that the... um? Is, is that a deck building game? That's a deck that, yeah. That's a cooperative okay. deck building game where you play like a very ethically dubious mining corporation going on, basically obtaining James Cameron's fucking unobtainium from very nasty looking planets. It's actually a really fun game. I like it a lot, and it became a real go to back when I still had like a regular board game group. But yeah, a lot of the card art in that game is it's very very good card art, but it is incredibly fucking nasty and violent, and I'm not. Sure, you'd want a five-year-old. I'm I'm not a good, I'm not a parent, and I'm not a good judge of that, but I don't know if I'd want my five-year-old playing that game as a result of it. Okay. So, take that however you will. It's fucking sweet, though. Game rules. So, t- two of the things I want to touch on before we move on to questions. Yeah. Uh, we kind of, when we, when we proposed this topic out to the, to the, to the listeners and to search for questions, we kind of we we I, I at least said that the episode was about board, bad board card and tabletop games. We haven't really talked about any card or tabletop games. What would you say is a bad card game? <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I, yes, I know, I know. Let, let's let's talk about a physical card game. What would you say is a bad physical card game? Oh, bad physical card game. The thing about that is bad physical card games. I don't. Bad physical card games kind of tend to fall between the cracks very, very quickly. So I don't actually know that many, like, bad physical card games. I'm tempted to say Yu-Gi-Oh! just because Luke likes it, and I know it has real problems with, like, turn one combo kill. Um, But I don't actually know anywhere near enough about that game to feel comfortable bashing on it. Even though people who play that game bash on that game, which should probably be indication. Um... So I don't know if there are a lot of, like, physical card games, less because they don't exist and more just because I don't know about them. Okay. And what about a tabletop game? Um, bad tabletop game? I'm, God. I mean, obvious answer, fatal, right? Obvious answer is fatal, but fatal is, I mean, that's the lowest of the low-hanging fruit, and no one actually plays fatal. Fatal is almost something to discuss as a subject for another time, because, like, that that game is hilariously just it is wretched. Cri- it is, I was about to say it is actually criminally insane. Like actually, the shit in that fucking game is surreal, and nobody can ever seem to give me a straight answer on is it actually a joke or not. So for tabletop games, it's not actually. I wouldn't say it's actually a bad game per se, but Paranoia, which is a game I actually really really like. 
um, is a game a lot of people cannot fucking stand. Um, to give you an example of why that is, Paranoia is a tabletop game where you are explicitly incentivized to try and fuck over and kill your party members. So much so that the first six deaths in that game don't actually penalize you for dying. I mean, you're out of the running or whatever the fuck you would normally be, but you're not actually penalized in that game at all for dying. Not notably, really. Um, this leads to situations where it's a tabletop game designed for parties who just want to fucking dick around, which is great if you have a group like I did who just like dicking around, but it's really bad if you want to actually have, like, progression and, like, an overarching story and all of that shit. Um, so a lot of people would probably say Paranoia, because Paranoia is also reasonably popular on top of that. Okay. Um... Yeah, so I think I think we should finally move on to questions. Oh, like and Dungeons place. and Dragons Fourth Edition, obviously, because as a person who played a D and D edition before Fourth, I am legally required to hate Fourth Edition. Man, D and D. Correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. This seems almost like kind of a Street Fighter or Legend of Zelda type thing, where like every version of D and D is the worst one until the next one drops. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Actually, that was one of the. That was one of the fucking funniest things about 4th into 5th. So in 4th, 4th, a bunch of the areas I circled, there were a whole bunch of people who liked 4th who got super fucking cranky that people like me didn't like 4th. And now admittedly, D&D nerds who like 3.5 way too much and 2.0, especially 2.0, um, way too much can be completely fucking insufferable. So this was definitely a case of the blame goes both ways. But then 5th came out, and all of a sudden, all those 4th people who, who were like, oh, 4th is way better, just give it a chance, you'll like it, it's actually really well designed, were suddenly bitching and pissing and crying that D&D 5th came out and was different and was noticeably differentiated from 4th. Because suddenly 5th was the worst fucking thing ever, and fourth was like this underappreciated fucking gem, despite the fact that the game was basically just an XCOM style miniatures combat game. It was good as an XCOM style miniatures combat game, admittedly. I never hated fourth. And I never quite got the. I, I, the weird thing about fourth is fourth was an engine that a lot of people said was really good for gameplay. And that's true. I actually always felt that fourth was really good for role playing because it was really. Because the roles in fourth were so set. And it was so hard to make like an outright bad character in fourth that it was really easy to balance like the dungeons in that game. And since there were no skills and you could kind of just like freeball it, you it, it really left the door open for role playing in my experience. In my experience, fourth was one of the best engines for role playing, not one of the worst. Although I suppose that kind of depends on how flexible your group was willing to be. I don't know. Sorry, that got way off tangent. No, that's fine. Uh, so. Actually, this is... This anyway, is to kind answer of your question, about, yeah, you were right. Yeah, yeah. it totally so, <laughs> so, on the subject of, of, uh, of tabletop, so me and uh, other folks from the network, Luke, Dustin, uh, Julie, Ashley, and uh, Molly are all playing a tabletop game that Lucas is DMing, uh, or GMing, I guess, since it's not D&D. Um, we're playing in the Fate Core system, and that's a system that uses, like, fudge dice and seems... It, it leans incredibly heavily on the storytelling aspect of it all. Mm -hmm. Like the the numbers are barely there. Like they're like it barely has mechanics. Um, and I will say that's a lot of fun. Yeah, for me, like, I think a lot of people tend to either overvalue or undervalue 
No, actually, it's more complicated. It's actually simpler than that. A lot of people tend to view numbers as either like a good or a bad binary thing in my experience like oh this game is very heavily systemized it's too cumbersome it's bad oh this game has virtually no systemization in place you're basically just improvising and open role playing it's bad the reality of the situation is overwhelmingly in my experience it's just dependent on what the group wants to do what system you should use and there are good like light system and heavy system role playing games just Absolutely. like there are bad light system and heavy system role playing games but in reality a lot of complaints that people have with like the varying editions of D&D or the varying editions of any fucking tabletop role playing game stem more from the fact that the game they tried to play that rule set didn't gel with their group for any number of reasons and sometimes those reasons are the rules that they were playing with genuinely just did fucking suck and it was a bad poorly made rule set um, but a lot of times, more often than not, even I'd say, is when they play with like Pathfinder, when they play with like fucking Pathfinder, and they're like, oh, this Pathfinder is really bad. It's, oh, why are there so many roles for everything? Although that would actually be more of a Shadowrun complaint than a Pathfinder complaint. Most people, when they complain about Pathfinder, they complain about class imbalances, which I don't really have a problem with because Pathfinder sets that up in a way that's still interesting enough and also other classes. I'm getting. Sorry, you probably yeah, I kind of lost track of where you were going with this. Yeah, sentence. I kind of lost track where we were going with either. The the point is, it a lot of times it depends more on your group than the rule set. You want to pick a rule set that tr- you you want to you want to assess what kind of group you're going to be playing with before you pick a rule set. You don't just want to pick a rule set arbitrarily, and that's where I think a lot of people's hangups come from. At least in personal experience. There we go. Okay. I got really off the rails there. I fucking apologize. No, it's fine. Okay, at long last, let's get to questions because yes. I've and this that's my fault. I've started to go to questions and then double back on it like three times. <laughs> um, so this one, uh, this one was actually sent to us. Uh, had nothing to do with with this episode. This was just a question we got a while back, and I've I've been forgetting to ask it. Um, but this one is from Sparadin. Uh Question for the going pear shaped guys: Am I the only person who liked Quest sixty four? In parentheses, I fully expect to get shat on for this. <sighs> I have a soft spot for Quest 64. It's a bad game. It's a bad... You can... There's a really good GDQ run of that game. Um, I can't remember if it's SGDQ or AGDQ or if they run it multiple times. And I, so I couldn't tell you what year it was even. But there was a really good GDQ run of that game where they kind of explain in very intricate detail over the course of, I think, like an hour all the reasons Quest 64 kind of sucks. But... At the same time, I, I sort of like Quest 64. I couldn't tell you why. It's not really that good of a game. I just have a lot of fond nostalgia for it because it was one of, not the first, but it was one of the first, like, RPGs I ever played. Even if it was kind of bad. Okay. And, and I've, bad. I mean, I've, I've never played it, so that was, that was entirely for you. Um, alright, so this one is from Zach, our buddy Zach. Um, what's the worst simple board game? Candyland? Shoots and Ladders? What? Um, I mean, I think we've already talked about it. Like, Candyland and, and Shoots and Ladders, by that same token, has a purpose. Yeah, and those games are designed for, like, literal babies. Yeah, uh, I mean... Simple. It's it's kind of hard to judge them along those lines. Like, like I'm 32. I'm not going to play Candyland unless I'm playing with a toddler, but... I- I'd say it's probably Shoots and Ladders in that instance, because Shoots and Ladders has the weird shoots thing, 
and just creates a whole bunch of very random feel-bads for kids, even in situations, even though Candyland is essentially also completely random. Yeah. But so I, actually, I would, yeah. So so the thing the thing with shoots and ladders or or snakes and ladders, um, is that that is that is a game that was des- it kind of like Monopoly was a game designed to teach a moral lesson, but the difference is. Unlike Monopoly, Snakes and Ladders is actually an incredibly old game, like super, super, super old. Um, there's a really great video that Extra Credits did on it. Um, I definitely recommend checking that out. Go to YouTube and search for Extra Credits, Snakes and Ladders. And it talks about kind of the history of that game and how it evolved as it jumped from culture to culture. And it's actually it's actually pretty interesting. But yeah, as a game, not actually good. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say Shoots and Ladders is worse than Candyland. Keeping in mind that now, yeah. I, now it, again, I have not played Candyland in a long time. Are there things in Candyland that send you backwards? I, know I don't there are think things that any... stop your progress because there's like the 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 fucking molasses yeah, swamp and shit. But no, there's not. I don't think there's anything that sends you backwards. I think like the special food cards might send you backwards. I haven't played Candyland in like twenty fucking years. Keep in mind. Oh my god, I haven't played Candyland. In yeah, like but I'm pr- I'm pretty years. sure Candyland is almost exclusively a feel good game, which I mean. When you're dealing with actual babies, is what you want. Yeah. So, shoots and ladders, it is, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Here's some more questions uh, from our buddy Jordan. Uh, did you ever play the initial D card game or Animayhem? No, there was an initial D card game. Evidently, I've never heard of either of these. Yeah, neither have I. Shit. So uh, this kind of ties into something earlier I think you were kind of freaking out about uh, I said hey we're discussing bad board card tabletop games send us questions and uh, Solisp 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 I think Solisp uh, said so Hearthstone <laughs> dude we, we keep teasing it at some point we are going to have to just dedicate an episode we, to you just fucking going okay. off on hearthstone okay don't doesn't audio entropy have like a literal like audio I f- no it it, I, it should be an episode around. of this it should be an episode no, of this that thing's no it should it's 100 percent. i insist we will record a bonus episode of going pear-shaped where i explain my relationship with hearthstone at some point undetermined in the future that is my response to the question, Hearthstone. Okay. <laughs> I hate that fucking game. Yeah, you do. I, I know. really do. <laughs> Next question. Yeah, um, got a few questions from Emily. Oh, cool. Uh, have you ever been so mad at a game that you actually flipped the table? I don't think so. I've gotten really fucking salty at games. I've almost certainly flipped the board at some point or another. But I don't think I've ever flipped the table. Um, I never have, although in high school I did actually pick up and throw a table at a guy once. Whoa, badass. Yeah, it, it had nothing to do with the board game. He was just being an asshole. Oh, okay, awesome. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Fucking prick. Uh, also from Emily, uh, what bad tabletop game could be improved by a sexy slash strip variant? I mean, couldn't they all? I mean, kind of. Actually, here's the thing. Here's, here's how we fix Monopoly, all right? Listen, listen, here's how we fix Monopoly. Uh-huh. It's strip Monopoly, and as you lose money, you lose clothes, but here's the thing. As you gain money, you have to put clothes back on, which means that at the end of the game, 
all but one player is nude, but the one player who wins is wearing like eight layers of clothing and is just sweating uncontrollably. <laughs> I guess that has its own sort of appeal. I was just going to say something about seeing Moneybag's dick. It's, oh, that fucking shriveled, just fucking... Yeah. Ugh, no. <laughs> no thanks. I, I mean, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but no. Um... <laughs> And she has, has an addition to that question. Alternatively, what would be a good way to incorporate a kink into a tabletop game, good ones included? I've heard of it in video games with the tank-healer relationship as a dom-sub situation, but never a board game. Man, I don't know about dom-sub-tank thing. I think that's more like a polyamorous thing. Because as healer, you gotta help everyone out. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm saying heal them so they don't fucking die and you don't lose the raid. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I tend to think of it in terms of, like, the, the heavy and the medic, like... Do Those two were heavy medic. Oh, absolutely. How could I not? I guess that's true. I mean, there was that like that entire short. Although I yeah. guess the spies decapitated. I mean, look, that is like here's the thing: gay shipping is all that game could ever have resulted in because there are zero female characters. That's actually 100 percent true. Although I guess you have Scout's mom. Yeah, <laughs> she's not really in the game though. Yeah, trust me when I say they got still got mileage out of her though. No. Oh, absolutely. 100. <laughs> percent let me introduce you to the magical world of source filmmaker porn. Um, I'm already well acclimated. Yeah, I know. Thank I know you, you are. Much. That was more directed at the listener. Uh, um, kill me. Yeah. So, so how how would we incorporate a kink into it? Well, here's the thing. Oh wait, somebody um, already did it. I, like I, I feel game? like sexy board games are a thing that exist already. Like that they shit do. you see at Spencer Gifts. They do. Ask yeah. me about Fiorita Con. What? <sighs> Furitacon is a card game based around setting up a furry harem and fucking the shit out of your opponent. I don't understand that game at all, because I am theoretically the target demographic for a game like that, um, because I fucking love furry porn and I fucking love card games, but even as somebody who's into those two things, I do not understand that game in the slightest. Okay. Yeah. Um... This one's Where for Fletcher. Wait, hmm? I don't think we ever actually answered the question, did we? Uh, oh, no, I don't think we did. Um, hmm. There's somebody's kink is rolling dice. I, I guess, I guess what, what, would, what would the best board game to add a strip component to be? Uh, fucking, I don't know. The problem with anything that says what would X be the best to add a strip component to is fucking nobody wants to see me naked. I don't want to see me naked. Nobody wants to see that. Well, I'm... I'm gonna say, you know, what, I'm gonna say Trivial Pursuit, just because I like Trivial Pursuit. What about Trivial Pursuit? Wait, no, that's an, that's an easy cop out. Trivial Pursuit just based around kinks, fucking done. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Um. So this God one's from Fletcher. Uh, why was the Animorphs board game so hard to understand when I was eight years old? I've never played the Animorphs board game, but I'm going to assume the answer is because you were eight years old and probably a jackass, and that's not a slight at you. If you're eight years old, you're probably a jackass. I know I was. Okay. Um, this one's from our buddy Joe. Do you think anyone in human history has successfully played a full game of Mousetrap? Yes, because I actually did. What the fuck, dude? Yeah, I know. It was terrible. Oh. Yeah, that, from what I understand, Mousetrap is not, it's not actually a good game. No, no, it's not. And it's really, really, and the fucking cage, like, gets stuck on the goddamn, like, rod halfway down every time. You gotta, like, jiggle it to get it to drop onto the mouse. It's bullshit. That fucking machine never works like it was advertised. 
Fuck that game. That game sucked. Why didn't we fucking ramble about that game for like half an hour? Because I don't actually remember the rules of Mousetrap. I'm pretty sure it's just like a rolling... If you don't remember the rules, it was just like a rolling move game, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Uh, Oh, wait, 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 wait. Another thing is... Another game you could read too cool into like a kink thing. The Game of Life. And you just have a big old bang boss. Just... Oh man, how did we not talk about the game of life and how- I don't know how we dodged the game of life, because that game fucking sucks ass, too. Yeah, there's almost no decisions in that game. I guess it's because after a certain point, all these shitty roll-and-move games, or draw-and-move games, or spin-and-move games just blend together into one homogenous mass of mediocre, overbranded shit, and my eyes just kind of glaze over. I will say, a a thing that we, we keep mentioning flip the table, one running thing in that game- is so in the, in that podcast rather is they have a tendency to play like bad licensed board games from like this like the eighties and nineties, and the number one thing about every just hastily designed licensed board game is that ninety nine percent of the time it's roll and move because that's just the default board game thing. Yeah, and it's it and all of them play like exactly the fucking same, and it's just I don't. You okay, buddy? I'm just reliving. Like, not the worst parts of my childhood, but the most boring parts of my childhood. Sitting there at the table, drooling, asking if I can go watch cartoons every ten minutes for two and a half fucking hours, waiting for Risk to end. And after all that time, it doesn't end. We just call it after two and a half hours in a fucking stalemate, because nobody can break into Australia when Australia has like 18... With a million troops. Actually, Fuck. that's the thing, is in my experience, Australia is always kind of fool's gold in risk. Like, someone always goes for it, because at first blush, it seems like strategically the best thing, but then you kind of like, well, I'm kind of I'm kind of bottlenecked here, I can't really go anywhere except Southeast Asia, I'm kind of fucked. In this particular, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but in this particular incident, they held enough land, and they were spread out enough that Australia was like the fortress they needed to take, but they couldn't. May have been playing the game wrong. Frankly, I don't give a shit. I hate. I just. Yeah, you know what? You know what? My favorite uh, continent to try and start out with in Risk is Asia? South America. I was gonna say South America. South America, I want to say is like the best continent because it's it's not as easy to get the whole thing of as Australia, but it's the second best in that sense, and it's you can actually go places from south america yeah because you have an obvious land bridge in north america and i want to say you have an ocean route into asia yeah, africa. africa yeah into africa yeah yeah remember fuck yeah, that's actually kind of a weird thing is risk only has like cuz it's it's a map of the earth like obviously you have to take into account that if you go off the left side you come out on the right side again but i think they only have the one route that actually does that and i think that's alaska to russia yeah, I think so. But Although anywho. I will say, in Risk's defense, actually, we never talked about it. There are variants of Risk that aren't bad, actually. Yeah, apparently, Legacy Risk is pretty good. Legacy Risk is all right. Um, not my favorite game in the world, but I also don't hate it, and it makes a lot of substantial improvements. So, good job. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so these are two things that kind of go together. So I'm going to read them both before we respond. Uh, Jordan asks, "How long does a boot good blah 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 blah?" blah. If, if only I could read. Uh, Jordan asks, how long does a good board game have to take to play before it becomes a bad board game based solely on time invested? See Talisman. Now, the response to that, uh, Wade jumps in and says, I love Talisman and I love that it's long. Give me more games I can waste a whole day on. 
Okay. So here's I the feel deal. like I feel like this ties into our earlier discussion about tabletop systems. It depends on the group. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I was also gonna say Talisman kind of sucks. Sorry, dude. It's not like the worst game in the world, but eh. The thing is, like, I, I feel like how, it, it depends on how into board games and how into the specific game you're playing, the people you're playing with, like, that that determines how long of yeah. a game you can get yeah, away with. Yeah, so the thing about, like, Risk or Monopoly is after about, like, the first 20 minutes, you're not making any sort of meaningful decision. You're just going through the motions. Whereas in a game like Scythe, a game like Scythe can take, like, two hours, but you're making meaningful, impactful decisions from the first round right up until the last fucking minute in that game. So yeah. two hours, perfectly fine runtime for a game like Scythe. Two yeah, hours also, for a game like Monopoly, not so much. Yeah. And also, for groups where you're like not really sure how long people have, you know, they're going to be willing to play, like we've mentioned some games like Apples to Apples and Uno, and part of the appeal of those games is you can just stop whenever. Like, yeah. you can just stop after a given round, and it's like, oh, like, you don't have to, you, like, I mean, they'll all have the official rules of, like, oh, we're playing to X points, but those games are just, like, just who's winning when we decide to stop. Yeah. You know? And, like, you can play to X points, and the games work totally fine in that sense, yeah. but, like, if you've got to stop abruptly, it's like both two players have four cards, well, it's a tie, they were both at the top there. Yeah, time. who gives a shit? It's apples to apples. Yeah, precisely. Um, I will say... I think the big thing with how long should it last is how long does the game provide an interesting play experience? I think that's actually one of the, another point. I, I, we may have already addressed it, but Betrayal at House on the Hill, one of the strongest things about that game is that is a game that knows when to fucking end. Like, right as soon as things are becoming monotonous, oh, hey, it's haunt time. Right as soon as you kind of learn the gimmick with the haunt, one way or another, the haunt is at going to be over, either because you get bashed to death by werewolves or because you manage to get to the cellar and repel all the vampire bats and shoot the fuck out of them with your pistols. Like, yeah, I, I feel like that is a game. And some people actually complain about the pacing of that game. And they're like, oh, the first half of the game is just kind of boring. And you're just sort of wandering around, like setting up rooms. But I, I think that's actually not fair to that game. I think there's enough, not a lot Mind you, it's not super interesting, but there's enough interesting stuff that happens in the early game with where you're like, you're building this map and yes, it's random, but you're still building a map and you're kind of getting time to assess what you can do with that map, assess like where you should run if things go wrong, assess where you should run if you're like the traitor and you need to try and like kill the other players real quickly. I personally find it pretty interesting, or at least there's interesting enough to keep a 10-minute play arc, which is all it needs to do. It just needs yeah. to be interesting for 10 minutes. So there's actually one th problem I have with Betrayal that I think I... Like, if I had the ability to, like, hey, I'm going to adjust this game and make my own personal, like, third edition or whatever, I, my complaint with Betrayal, and I feel like this would actually help the early phase immensely, is if you could find more items. Because yeah. there, are ton you, there are tons and tons of events. Like, you'll go through the whole event deck after you've played the game a bunch, but, like, you'll almost... you'll you'll never see like the whole fucking if like item deck. There are so many items in that game and the house has like, I don't know, like three or four spaces where you'll find an item. And then there's yeah. like the vault. If you've got a good enough knowledge roll, that, that'll yeah, get you, you need two. an obscene, you need an obscene knowledge roll to get. Yeah, it's like six plus, it's which, like six or seven or something. It, like. It's, it's plus six. I remember that, okay. which for, for anyone who, uh, who has not played that game, you roll with dice that have zeros, ones, and twos on them. So a plus six is a hell of a roll. 
Yeah, like it, for average, average in that game would be either three, four, or four, three physical knowledge, knowledge physical. So you need like a really. So assuming you have over average knowledge at four, you still need to spend multiple turns probably trying to crack into that vault. Yeah, which I mean, yeah. narratively makes sense. You're trying to crack a safe, but still, that is a that is a game where you are starved for items basically always. And yeah, it, it, and the thing is, and, and I get that that's part of the appeal. Like you're trying to survive a haunted house; the other's supposed to be against you. But like in terms of just the design of the game, like there's this huge fucking stack of random, like mystical and interesting items that just don't you don't touch for most of the game. Yeah, and when you inevitably do get an item, it's some bullshitty dud item, like the fucking Ouija board or some shit like that, and not like the pistol or like the first aid kit or something actually good. It's always the fucking creepy puppet. It is. I can't even remember what that fucking useless shitter does. I know it's like it, like it's just when you when you f- fucking what is it? Um, I, I I think it's just there are certain scenarios in which you have to attack someone, and like oh. if the spear is in play, it does extra damage. Oh Question. yeah, I remember that thing. It's weird. It's overcomplicated, and it has the end result of making you like slightly better in combat sometimes. Or you ha- or another good one, although this is actually an omen card, and you find omens more regularly than items, which I feel is another problem with that game, is you get- you'll go through the omen deck fairly quickly and see everything there is in the omen deck, but you'll, like, never see the items. It's a little weird in that sense. I mean, the, uh, omen, yeah. the omens are the things that trigger the end game, so that's understandable. Yeah, but. but I feel like in another version of that game, they should give you omens on, like, every other haunt roll or something like that, and they should increase the amount of items you get. Because it feels very strange that you burn through the omen deck so quickly, and you, like, never see any items. It feels well, like mean, it should almost it's, be It's actually a good setup, because the idea is that um, when, you, when you find the omen, you're supposed to roll to... Basically, if you manage to... Uh, tie or beat the number of omens already in play with a roll of six dice, and you know which will get you a number of zero to twelve. Like then the game will keep going and the haunt won't start. And the idea is that um, that that haunt roll gets harder and harder as you go and does not become impossible until you find the thirteenth and final omen. Yeah, and I know that actually has kind of the thing where it keeps the game somewhat unpredictable, but it actually yeah. I, f- I feel like of- maybe, and and I get that thirteen is a real nice number of something to have in a game with horror themes, but there are eight dice in that game, so I feel like maybe maybe they could, there could have been seventeen of them, and that would have helped a little bit. Yeah, or maybe you can still have it at thirteen, but you just have more omens. I don't know. It feels like they could have tweaked that a little bit. Also, what the hell was this original question? Um, it was just it was just talking about like game length, like what's a good game length. We were just saying it depends on the group. Yeah, entirely depends on the group, um, and if the game can facilitate a uh, interesting play experience for that long. Some games, I, again, I keep going back to Scythe because it's relatively it has a relatively long play arc at probably like ninety minutes, two hours, um, but it is interesting and fun for ninety minutes and two hours every time. So that's exactly as long as it needs to be. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, let's um let's get around to wrapping this up. I got one question left. Okay. This is from Jeremy. He he asks, FYI, my dad owns a tabletop store. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, nice. Hopefully the people who regular it are cool and aren't fucking disgusting awful nerds. It's about 50/50 like, like, in my one experience. One can only hope, yeah. Yeah, about 50/50 in my experience. Okay. So, um yeah, let's let's wrap this up. Matt, you got anything you want to plug? Nope. Okay. <laughs> 
You can find uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Mike Loves Rabbit, um, and you can find our podcast on Twitter at G Shaped. That is at G S H A P E D on Twitter. You can ask us questions. You can find out what future episodes are going to be about. You can suggest future episodes. That's all good good stuff. And um, I th- and of course you can find other episodes of this podcast and other podcasts that are just generally better than this one on AudioEntropy.com. Uh, and I think that's going to do it. So, for Going Pear-Shaped, I've been Mike. And I've been Matt. And always remember, diddle yourself constantly. <laughs> <laughs>